Good morning. Welcome to The Briefing. It is Monday, the 18th of May. I'm Tom Tilley. Later on the show, more and more of us are going back to work. How are you feeling about that? Are you happy about it? Would you like to work from home forever? We're going to look into the pros and cons of working from home and find out why it works better for some than others, depending on whether you're an owl, a lark or a middle bird. Annika Smithhurst, how are you feeling about going back to work? A little bit apprehensive, Tom. I have to, you know, actually get up in the morning and get dressed and I can't just roll out of bed and wear my pyjamas to 3pm. But look, (laughs) it would be good to get back in and actually have a bit of social interaction in the office, though. So you wouldn't like to work from home forever? No, a little bit of flexibility, meaning, you know, I could stay home if I had to have a plumber drop over. But I think I actually do want to get back to work. I never thought I'd say that, but I do. (laughs) All right, let's get into the other big stories of the day. There is strong support from across the world for Australia's push for an independent inquiry into the coronavirus, with 62 countries officially backing the move that's angered China. Yeah, there was a lot of speculation that Australia was facing Chinese trade sanctions on our beef and our barley exports for being one of the first nations to call for this inquiry. But now New Zealand, India, Japan, the entire EU and Britain will all sponsor the motion calling for the review at the World Health Organization's World Health Assembly today. And although both our countries claim the trade war and the call for this investigation aren't related, Trade Minister Simon Birmingham still hasn't been able to get his Chinese counterpart on the phone to sort out why beef exports from four Aussie abattoirs were recently suspended. We've made a request for uh, for me to be able to have discussions with my Chinese counterpart. Uh, now, that request has not been uh, met with a call being accommodated at this stage. That was Trade Minister Simon Birmingham on Insiders yesterday. And look, it's been almost a week since he's been able to get on to his counterpart in China. He's now suggesting that perhaps Aussie farmers might need to diversify in the future to avoid this sort of drama. The Trade Minister, I've noticed, Annika, has been making a really big effort to put on a brave face uh, and say, well, look, they're not necessarily related. Um, we're doing our best to get in touch, but it's not a good situation. I spoke to him across the weekend and reading between the lines, there's going to be a bit of a push from the government to just get farmers to diversify. We have a few new trade agreements popping up with the EU UK is on the cards and Indonesia and perhaps going into those markets is something the government's going to be looking at. Tom, a good day to live in the West. West Australia becomes the first to move to stage two of the coronavirus shutdown rollback with groups of up to 20 people out loud in public spaces, including libraries and even gyms. Yeah, and in Tasmania today, cafes, restaurants, pubs and clubs are opening for 10 people as long as they sit down for a meal. And Victoria has finally laid out its plan. Venues there will open for 20 people on June 1st and all things going well, they will move to 100 people by mid-July. And although the slow road to recovery is continuing. The World Health Organization's advisor, Mary Lewis McLaws, has told 10 it's worth remembering that the pandemic's far from over. We Australians think that the lifting of restrictions means that it's the end of the pandemic for Australia, and it is not. It's just the end of restrictions, and the government is trying to balance an epidemic and an economy. That's the World Health Organization's advisor, Mary Lewis McLaws. And (laughs) no matter how much they warn us about um, not going overboard, people seem very excited to be hitting the streets in in big numbers. Yeah, restaurants opened in Canberra on the weekend and it was hard to even get a booking. They're only taking 10 people, of course, but everybody clearly just wants to get out. Yeah, I got to my favourite restaurant on the weekend, which was really nice. It was a little bit sparse and weird in there, but pretty nice thing all the same. 
And detectives are still trying to figure out how and why an AFL player was stabbed in the chest over the weekend. Geelong midfielder Jack Stephen got an Uber to hospital early yesterday with what's been described as a serious injury. Police haven't interviewed him yet, but they're hoping to do that today. The club says the 30-year-old's in hospital recovering and its focus is on his health and well-being. And if you've ever Googled your symptoms and found out you have every disease ever invented, do not worry. Uh, Australian researchers confirmed that Dr Google is wrong most of the time. Yeah, Edith Cowan University looked at 36 different sites and in one case they were given more than 600 possible diagnoses for a set of flu-like symptoms. It also found that the more serious the condition was, the more likely they were to give the wrong answer. So for things that need immediate attention, like a heart attack, they were wrong three out of four times. Tom, I must admit, I'm pretty guilty of this one. <laughs> it's an interesting thing because, yes, at the moment, it, it obviously doesn't work if, if you look at the results of this survey. But I think a lot of the health system is going to move online. And some of the basic things that we used to go to a GP for, you would be able to get advice for or get that service online. So getting medical help online will be a bigger part of the way we access health services, but obviously they need to get it right. The country's peak retail body says Aussies, desperate to get out of the house, have flocked to the shops over the weekend, some even doing more business than this time last year. The Australian Retail Association has told the Australian newspaper it's still waiting for the official figures, but the lockdown lift seems to be going smoothly with people keeping their distance and willing to queue up outside stores. It seems the shoppers are especially keen to buy PJs, trackies and casual shoes, <laughs> shying away from career wear like suits, and that's definitely the case for me. Yeah, I guess people are still um, preparing to, to continue working at home rather than buying the suits to get back into the office, which takes us into our next segment. Anika Smethurst will catch you tomorrow. It's time to talk working from home with Jan Fran. So WTF is WHF. <laughs> Sorry, is... I got that the wrong way around. WFH. That is such a daggy way to introduce what it is that we're talking about, and you screwed it up as well. Yeah, God WFH is working from home, <laughs> which millions of us are doing right now because of the pandemic. It's basically given us a, a turbocharged trial of a revolution that was slowly happening anyway. Yeah, so Twitter have recently announced that its 4,000-plus workers can work from home Forever, so permanently if they want. Uh, Google and Facebook are extending it to the end of the year, regardless of what sort of transpires with the pandemic. And here, Optus have let go of their overseas call centre workers and employed Aussies uh, who are working from home and they've told them they can do that permanently mm. as well. Now, a few studies have shown that people actually get more work done working from home, that there's higher job satisfaction. And there's one particular study from Stanford University in the US which showed that people took shorter breaks had less sick days and that productivity was up 13%. Yeah, I heard a really interesting podcast about this which showed how this could really look for a lot of people in the future. Um, WordPress, which has over a 1,000 workers, they've been um, using a fully distributed workforce, as they call it, for quite a while now. And the founder, Matt Mullenweg, spoke to Sam Harris on Making Sense. Here's how he described it. If you can start to hire all over the world and have those people be able to be just as effective working their daytime or most productive hours and passing off that baton between the people working daytime hours in the US to Europe to Asia Pacific, you essentially get a 24-hour cycle. Mm. And what might take a normal organization three days, you could do in 24 hours. Yeah, so it's an amazing image, quite a utopian global picture he's painting there. Um, 
let's also find out what the downsides might be. With us is Amantha Imber. She is an organisational psychologist and founder of Inventium. So that is an organisation that works out basically how to make workers happier and more productive. Amantha, thanks so much for being with us this morning. Uh, What is this crisis, this pandemic, what has it taught us about working from home? Now, we've, you know, been been doing it for a while, but certainly it's a little bit more turbocharged. So how's this trial working out for us exactly? I think it's going really well. And I think it's different depending on whether you're a manager or an employee. So I think for employees working from home that have a manager, I think that now we're really settled into the groove. We're kind of thinking, wow, this is the life. I've got no commute. I can put a load of washing on in the middle of the day. I can see see my kids, um, you know, whenever I want for homeschooling, although that's uh, possibly a good and bad thing, double-edged sword for some people. <laughs> yeah, there'll be um, some people really not liking that one just quietly. But I think also for managers, I think a lot of managers were really wondering, can I trust people to actually get the work done from home? And I think that the resounding answer is yes. Yes, we absolutely can. So I would like to think that working from home could could be the new normal for a lot of workplaces. Mm. Yeah, we heard from Twitter that they're going to allow their workforce to work from home permanently from now on. Um, Facebook and Google are allowing their employees to do it for the rest of the year. Um, Optus have now moved what were offshore call centres to um, domestic workers doing it from home. Do you think we're going to hear more announcements like that in the coming weeks and months? I would be really surprised if we don't. I mean, it really is win-win. I think it lowers the cost, um, certainly in terms of overheads for businesses, if you've got more people working from home. And it's so much more convenient. And I actually think, well, I've certainly heard a lot of our clients have had increases in productivity through people working from home. And if you think about it, even just stripping out the commute out of people's days, I mean, you're already Mm. winning back an hour or two hours every single workday. What are the sort of biggest benefits of working from home? You mentioned a few earlier. What are some of the others? Yeah, look, I think in some ways there's a lot less distractions. I know for myself, when I used to go into Inventium's office, you've got all the people distractions, which can be a really welcome distraction and great for collaboration and forming connections and cementing connections. But it can also be just that. It can also be a very big distraction. I've read research that shows that when we are working in an office, we're really only productive for two to three hours a day because of all those distractions. Now, that's not to say that distractions don't exist in the home environment because we've got all our digital distractions and we're probably experiencing death by Zoom meetings and things like that. But it certainly does strip out a lot of those um, physical and face-to-face distractions. Yeah, we've got a clear idea of sort of how the day looks when you're in an office. It's nine to five. Maybe you have a lunch break, maybe you have a piece of chocolate cake at 3.30, everyone does that, it's mandatory. What what does the day look like when you're at home and you don't actually have any of those sort of um, restrictions? Yeah, yeah. constructs. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting one. And and this is where I think a lot of people really struggled in the beginning and are potentially still struggling now. I hear a lot of people talk about having the experience of Groundhog Day where the day is just kind of blur together. Mm. And certainly with a lot of the work that we do in Inventium, we're actually training people how to get better at working from home because there is no structure. And when there's no structure, we often struggle. Um, So for example, one thing that we talk about with a lot of our clients and train them how to do is to work out what their chronotype is. So chronotype is basically just a fancy word for what are the natural peaks and troughs in your individual 
energy levels over a 24-hour period. And mm. so, for example, there are um, there's one group of people who researchers call larks. So these are people that, you know, wake at 5.30 without an alarm and they're, you know, doing their best work in the morning. And then there are owls who are at the other end of the spectrum and they're about 20% of the population and they do their best work and have their best brain power in the evening and at night, like when most offices are closed. And then the rest of us are middle birds. So we kind of operate on the rhythm of a lark, albeit delayed by a couple of hours. So when we're thinking about how do we set up the ideal day from home, if we're a lark or a middle bird, then really we should be blocking out our mornings to engage in the more challenging kind of brain power heavy work. But if we're an owl, then really it's not in our best interest to even be at our computer before 10 a.m. Thank really, you. Like, yeah. <laughs> I feel vindicated. Yeah, I'm I, a bit of an owl too. I'm a bit of an owl. Yeah. I never thought that <laughs> thinking about birds would really help me understand my daily work structure, but it has. <laughs> I wonder what this is going to do to our social life, though, because a lot of the friends, well, I know from my personal experience, a lot of the friends that I made, I've, I've made through work. Um, what, what will happen to that if everybody's working from home and there's not that, you know, water cooler chat around the office? Yeah, I think this is really interesting. And I think we, we really need to think about how do we build and cement or maintain our connections virtually. So, for example, um, all year I've, I've been doing this um, this experiment called My Year of Better, which is basically a series of experiments. Um, I've got, you know, about 2,000 people uh, doing the experiments with me where every fortnight I'll set a different challenge. And the challenge that or the experiment that I've got running this fortnight is to ask better questions because I think one of the problems that is weakening our connections is asking really sort of silly superficial questions like what is the first question that you ask someone in a meeting or when you pick up the phone it's how are you how are you going Mm. and what's the answer that you get uh, good. Yeah, good. Yeah. All right. You know, something like that. Like basically you are learning nothing about the person. But with this experiment, I'm challenging people to actually ask better questions. So if you start your conversation with a better question, you're going to build deeper connections. So asking like what's been an unexpected upside of COVID or what's been the best part of your working day so far. Or so you're something. talking about like awkward forced chat there? Awkward forced chat. I'm talking about like <laughs> deliberately going deep. You can preface it however like you a want. Bad so you don't sound odd, but <laughs> you will deepen your connections. So tomorrow me. morning I'm just going to ask Tom, what's your relationship with your mother like, Tom? Yeah, thanks, Jan. It's 5.30. Shut up. Um, yeah. I wonder if we're having a bit of a honeymoon with working from home because we know it, it may not last forever at the moment and whether, as Jan sort of touched on before, some of the downsides could be quite heavy on our mental health for some people and maybe not others, but people that maybe are prone to feeling isolated, depressed, anxious. And who don't have a good office space as well. Yeah, maybe have a tricky home life. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Look, I think that there there needs to be a happy medium. So, for example, at Inventium, back when we had, when we were all working from the office, we we had very flexible working arrangements. So, you could work whenever from wherever. We even had someone work from Italy for six months. Um, But what we typically say is that we'd say every Friday is office day. So, We're all in the office on Friday because that is our connection day. That is the day that we prioritize all our internal meetings. And Monday to Thursday, work from wherever. But Friday is this sacred day for being in the office and reconnecting. And I think that if companies can think about that, like almost a hybrid having 
yeah, a hybrid model because I, I do agree, and particularly for the extroverts and even the introverts, like having that face-to-face contact, mm. that brings something that virtual connections can never bring. I mean, that's in an Australian setting. What about a global setting? Because one of the benefits of a distributed workforce, which is what some people call it, is that you can tap into a global talent pool. Is that how you could see it working? Could this model actually go global? And could that possibly mean Australians lose out on job opportunities or or gain them? I kind of think for some industries, particularly technology, that is just already how things are done. Um, I would like to see more industries think in that way because, I mean, I think it allows you to access the best talent. It's kind of a no-brainer. Like, yes, it can be annoying dealing with time zones and coordinating schedules, particularly for meetings, but you know, ultimately, doesn't everyone want to access the best talent? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, imagine getting together for three weeks of turbocharged water cooler chat. Oh, man. (laughs) We would then go really deep on your relationship with your mum then, wouldn't we? We That's a lot. (laughs) Before we let you go, Amantha, I'm I'm just curious as to some of the kind of unintended consequences that might happen as a result of this. Do you think we'll start to see people sort of going away for the weekend a little bit more just because they're spending that week in their home that suddenly the home and and social lives need to delineate somehow? And, and will home be different? Will people live in, in different geographical places because they don't need to come to a central office and will the homes need to be bigger and how will that home life change? Yeah, well, will we have an office in the same way that we have a lounge room, a kitchen, a bathroom? Will an office just be mandatory? Working from home really just means not working in the office. Mm. So for example, for me, um, you know, pre-COVID, while I would work from home probably about three days a week, it often meant working from cafes. And, you know, I know that a lot of my team have worked from libraries, worked at the beach, worked at the park. So, I think that kind of working in the four walls that are our home is is slightly limiting, like in a post-COVID world where we are allowed back out and we're not all scared of picking up germs from wherever we go. Mm. So yes, homes might change, but I also think we'll just have a broader definition of all sorts of places where we can get work done that's not actually at the office. All right. Amantha, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> Good chat. So that was Amantha Imber, organisational psychologist, author and host of the podcast How I Work. Jan, we've got such COVID brain. We're seeing so many of these dynamics from that mindset, but it's going to look very different to how it looks now and lots of exciting stuff there. Yeah, I know. When she said, oh, you can think about it as working from a park, I thought, huh, working from a park. I did not think about it as leaving the confines of my home. Hopefully that will change in, hey, a matter of weeks, maybe months. All right. Thank you, Jan. Tomorrow on the podcast, vaping in Australia. If nicotine vaping helps people quit smoking then why is it still illegal here when it's legal in so many other Western countries? That's the briefing tomorrow. Subscribe on the Podcast One Australia app or wherever you normally get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.